Welcome to the Weekly Hook, where your hook is Chris and Rashad. And today, the 80s means trouble. We have a very special guest joining us today. We have the most amazing guest we've ever had on the podcast coming back. Emma, she's here. Say hi, Emma. Hi, Emma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have so many things coming down the pipeline. As always, next week, we have... Our hookies are coming back midweek, so um, stay tuned for the announcement of the winners of our annual Best in Film Awards. And this Heck weekend, yeah. of course, we'll be continuing our coverage of The Mandalorian. Chris, how you feeling? Super excited with everything we've uh, we've got coming up. I have no idea what we're going to be talking about today, so also excited. And I'm excited to have Emma back on as a guest. Uh, it's been a while, but... Happy that you're back to talk about whatever it is we're going to talk about. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. And I guess without further ado, I mean, there will be a further ado coming, but without further ado, <laughs> I was never afraid before you... Oh, man, I wrote down the quote wrong. I can't remember the quote. <laughs> <laughs> I really can, I, can, 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 we, can we do my favorite quote? Which yes, is, please. This is from from it's unique to what we're just discussing, not to the bigger picture. Uh, not today, you new age jackboot motherfuckers. I think I actually got that a bit wrong. It's it's something like that. That was a close paraphrase. <laughs> close paraphrase is also a, a great band name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't figured it out today, we will be talking about the first season of HBO's The Last of Us. Chris, have you seen the show at all? <sighs> nope. I was planning to, but then life got in the way as it usually does um but feel free i i it's one of these shows that i want to watch at some point for sure but i'm not super hyped about it in the sense that if you spoil feel free to spoil anything i'm fine with this uh so you know please all of the uh training weights cannot come off or whatever metaphor you'd like to use um but i've heard a lot of things about it and i'm curious to hear what you have to say Oh, we're going to spoil everything. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you will. (laughs) I think for me, like, because the game, because it's based off a game that's been around for more than 10 years, I feel like Mm -hmm. spoilers are fair game. Not for The The Last of Us Part 2. I feel like we should still try to keep that magic alive. But, I mean, if Mm. you don't know the plot by now, then you haven't been on the internet since 2012. (laughs) And I haven't. So that that story checks out. Yeah, I only ever dial in and like plug in my modem so I can talk to Rashad on Serially Hooked. So that works. Uh, Well, there's a character in the series that you're really going to like then. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. So I guess before we get into it, though, Emma, it's been a while since we talked. How's life? How are things going for you? Yeah, good. I mean, um, what's new? I... I got a new job. I think I got a new job since we last talked, um, which is going really well. I'm trying to move house so that I can be closer to my job. Currently, I'm a two and a half hour commute away from my job. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Which is uh, pretty intense. Um, but yeah, I think everything else is good. Cats are still good. Still screaming at the walls. Yeah. 
what have you been watching recently? Have you been uh, checking out anything on TV? I mean, as Serially Hooked, we have to ask this question. Yeah, I think I, I should probably like come clean at the start and reveal to you guys something that you probably already know, which is that my film and television knowledge is appalling. And I really <laughs> am not like up to date with anything. Um, and I'm always behind. And yeah, so you guys are going to have to do the heavy lifting for any sort of film and TV crits. But that's OK, because I'm here for the for the game side. Um, but we actually did start watching The White Lotus, which I know, again, very old now. Um, and we're only on episode five of the first season. Um, I, wouldn't, I, I don't know if I'm enjoying it. I feel like I'm <laughs> repulsed and attracted in equal measure. So it's like I had to run out of the room uh, for the last, the last episode, actually, <laughs> the last one that we watched. Um, but I'm still coming back to it, I guess. I don't know. It's like an abusive relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is amazingly like the acting is incredible and the characters are really like well written and, and obviously the locations are stunning and stuff. But but yeah. That seems like the White Lotus experience. <laughs> Please don't say that it's a, that it's such an old show because I just watched it like a few months ago. No. <laughs> it's like I know I'm not as up to date with things as Rashad, but it's I think the it wasn't the first season like twenty twenty one. It's not Maybe. that old, you know? I'm just glad that we actually did watch it because otherwise I would probably have nothing to mention like, yeah. <laughs> as a response to that question. Yeah, perfect. But we are here to talk about a specific game adaptation, right? As And that's why we have to bring Emma on, obviously, because you are an expert in video games in general. As, as you have, If you haven't listened to Emma's first appearance on the Serially Hooked, on the Serially Hooked, what am I doing? You should definitely go check out um, the last time we had Emma on um, to talk about representation in video games. So please go check that out. Um, but here we're going to talk about a specific adaptation. But that really brings me to an interesting question from my perspective in terms of merging the two art forms of film and television and then also video games. And as we talked last time, it's a very different experience for the consumer or the user or the um, viewer, wh- whoever it is. Um, and, but have you, and this is a question for Chris as well, um, what, when you think of video game adaptations, um, what are some of the ones you've liked in the past? What are the ones that haven't really worked for you? Um, I think it's no surprise to anyone that video game adaptations, the history of them have been murky at best. Um, so I'm wondering if you think about anything that has done, been done well previous to this, we'll reserve judgment on this show for the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you want to go first, Chris? Uh, sure. As I very, very uh, quickly just try to look up what video games got adapted, uh, <laughs> because I I think wasn't Resident Evil, yeah, uh, adapted. That's that was probably not good. I haven't watched it actually, <laughs> but uh, I think it's not great. I also haven't watched the Resident Evil one, but I've actually heard that it's not terrible. I think it has hmm. Mila Jokovic in it, or I don't know yeah. how to pronounce her name, but yeah, apparently it's not actually that bad. Yeah, like, it holds up as a horror film. Supposedly, I haven't seen it. That's, that's yeah. what I've heard. Oh, of course. Now, I, now that I go through all of these, all of this list, because of course there's a Wikipedia page for it. It's a lot of like action and shooter games, yeah. like uh, Lara, obviously Tomb Raider, like or slash Lara yeah, Croft. But does that count? This is my big question because yeah. Lara Croft, like the game, is just Indiana Jones in drag. Yeah. So it's technically a film native con- concept if we want to be like really strict, which is why it then yeah. works well when it's like remediated back into film. Like I think the Angelina Jolie 
film not like the not like the recent films but the mm -hmm. yeah like the one from our childhoods um is a fun and good action movie but again oh, okay. yeah is it is, is are we really like transporting the the i don't know like to take the indiana jones metaphor you know we're stealing the thing out of the temple but then we're putting it back into the temple when we take it yeah. back to film oh yeah very 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 well <laughs> very well put for sure um yeah it's interesting also it's so interesting that i mean it makes sense that it's mostly action movies and act like you know shooter games and exploration of course assassin's creed was turned oh. into a movie i haven't i have neither played nor watched the movie but from all uh, all i've heard is that the movie is terrible yeah it's so bad i literally love the game so much like assassin's yeah. creed origins is one of my definitely my top 10 games but i bounced off that film after 20 minutes and i don't yeah. usually do that like if i've committed to something i will try to see it through and i it was unwatchable it was embarrassing <laughs> like i feel mean saying it but it, it was very yeah. very bad <laughs> probably probably the same goes for and again i have not watched these movies but the uh the sonic the hedgehog movies and the uh, detective pikachu one <laughs> which came out quite recently which was a weird little trend um the only one that i have seen on this list that i have in front of me right now is actually the hitman movie with uh timothy oliphant mm. i think it was which was like a was just like a yeah it's just another action movie i've never played the game either but uh it's just like yeah i don't know i don't i think it's set in russia and that's pretty much all i can remember about the, yeah, <laughs> about the about the movie and of course uh the only thing that other thing that i'm aware of right now that again neither played nor watched because that's my brand is um the witcher yeah i've watched again i watched the first i don't know six or seven episodes of the tv show but is it a true is it a video game native adaptation not really because the mm. video game is based on a series of books so again like the heart of it is it's kind of it's being transplanted back into its original body well not its oh, original body but it's it's go. it's yeah it's not a video game native concept yeah. i uh i have like because i don't watch a lot of films and my knowledge is rubbish i decided to reinterpret this question as <laughs> which is my favorite video game based like that has been like as an ip that's from a tv show <laughs> um so the it. simpsons hit and run is a fantastic such game. such a really great game, such <laughs> a great game. Oh. <laughs> it preserves like the 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 tone and like the the kind of humor of the tv series really really well but just turns that into like a yeah a very tongue-in-cheek um and silly fun family-friendly game experience um telltale's the walking dead i have not watched the tv series but oh, the course. the game is fantastic like again mm. it's I, from what I've heard of the TV series, it's very much, it's like that question, which I'm sure we'll get into later when we talk about zombies more generally. But, um, you know, what really is frightening about zombie films is not the kind of gory, shambling husks of the undead, but about the frailties and the weaknesses and the cruelties that it reveals in the humans left alive. And that is very much the experience of The Walking Dead, the Telltale's game. Like, it's not a shooter, it's not a stealth game. It's a narrative choice game and it's just about trying to, well, trying to survive, of course, but also trying to like keep your group together. And it's about 
managing people's emotions essentially and taking care of each other and choosing what kind of leader you're going to be so I think that's a really good example of staying faithful to the original concept as I said in brackets I've not seen the original show but (laughs) from what I've read uh another one that I think deserves to be on this list stands the test of time Mary-Kate and Ashley Magical Mystery Mall um (laughs) I freaking love this game as a kid like I had very eclectic taste in in video games when I was young I liked you know Medal of Honor 3 was like one of my favorite games of all time I used to play Silent Hill with my stepdad but Mary-Kate and Ashley Magical Mystery Mall I like I've I've hours of my life (laughs) was spent in that game um, with my sister and again if we're just thinking about not that you should judge adaptations on how faithful they are to the original but if we're talking about like capturing the essence um, and successfully transplanting it into a new body and letting the new body live I think Mary Kay and Ashley Magical Mystery Mall is like it taps into the fantasy of the series which is like what would it be like to be friends with these two super cool teen girls and yeah that's the experience that the game offers um again potentially controversial in terms of is it an adaptation but pokemon like come on that started life as a a card game (laughs) um and i know in the u.s like the tv series and the game i think released at the same time potentially but i think in japan the game came first for sure Mm. so but again it's just like uh you know across all media um and across all of its like various yeah franchise products I think it's it holds up um then yeah my final two were um well in one category Lord of the Rings Harry Potter all of those kind of big fantasy IPs um translate really well into video games like I think you know I think Lord of the Rings was meant to be a video game it's just the tech didn't exist at the time but if you think about the descriptions of the world and the lore and the fact that it's just constantly just traversing across locations um yeah you feel like it was it was destined to be um an open world third person video game but it just that wasn't possible at the time have they made a good video game lord of the rings video game recently like a recent one um i think the most recent one is shadow of mordor or something like that i i don't I mean, there's so many. Um, is there one that stands out to you? I think the one that's like most critically acclaimed is like the Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor game, but I haven't played that like personally. Um, again, like uh, it's not really. I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan. Is that really like sacrilege to say? But I, I'm. No, no, you're fine. I remember I read The Hobbit. Um, and it was like, I guess, in my sort of early feminist awakenings when I was like 15, 16. And I was like, I bet there's going to be a female character soon. I'm sure there's going to be a girl who's going to pop up. Maybe the wife of somebody. Is this guy going to mm-hmm. get a wife? Is he going to, is anyone? And then, yeah, I got to the end and I was like, huh, I feel like this wasn't written for me. I feel like the author didn't know that I existed when he wrote it it was like a very you know I mean I'm sure everyone has that moment where you suddenly realize that some the the other the the author is just speaking over your head to the person standing behind you and it can be a bit alienating so yeah it's never been for me but I that's like in the context of adaptation I do think that uh, it's kind of yeah it's ripe for mining uh, in the sense that it's got a lot there that could translate to make a really good video game um, same for Harry Potter, like everybody knows that 
the plot is pretty thin in the Harry Potter books and the characterization is flat, I would say, is like a polite way of putting it. But that's not like the reason why those books were so successful is because they were just this portal, this port key to use the the in-world lingo to transport you into a place. And that world was so rich and so full of surprises and just crying out to be explored. And yeah, obviously video games are the medium for just getting that sense of presence I think is like yeah like that's the one thing that the medium does really well that I hate the word immersion I'm not going to use the word immersion but yeah like uh, an embodied sense of being in a world um, and interacting with the world so and that's what I think people really crave who read those books Um, but yeah oh I have one final one which I actually genuinely think is fantastic like in the category of art with a capital A is the adaptation of um, Around the World in 80 Days. So the game version is just called 80 Days um, and it's by Inkle and you can play it on mobile. You can play it on like any console. I think you can, yeah, I'm pretty sure you can just play it on like a, a standard laptop as well. Um, yeah. But it's like a an anti-colonial retelling um, of the original book and there is so much text in that game as in like you don't obviously see it all but I think there is like I think it's like 10 times as many words in 80 days the game as there is in the original novel um but it's like so well written and it's so funny and like yeah it still has that game element like you still have to try and traverse the world within 80 days and you have to plan your route and make decisions and so on um and like manage your resources which is like you know really like it's an engaging amount of play um but again, like it's the world that is so deep and it's not in there. It's not actually set in like Victorian times. Like it's set in the kind of steampunk kind of parallel world where there's like some intersections, but like the empires never happened. So like the British empire isn't like the biggest empire. And yeah, and again, it's just super interesting because all of the non-player characters that you encounter, they all have their own um lives their own goals like and you as the player are not the hero of their story and so what you really feel is like the sense of just getting these tiny glimpses into other people's worlds and realizing like how small you are in such a big space which is of course like the opposite of the classic victorian adventurer novels where everything is held in orbit of like by the gravitational pull of the hero character so yeah i think it's like it's not only like a great game um and a great adaptation but it's like it goes beyond the original text to actually be in conversation with the original text rather than just be like a a homage to the original text which i think is really cool that's interesting that you laid out so many video games that were good adaptations of film or books or whatever it may be it's interesting that in reverse we really struggled to come up with anything or anything that was good <laughs> i wonder like what uh what's challenges that emerge from moving from a video game outwards is it just a lack of creativity or finances or interest in actually adapting or taking artists to create and adapt uh, into television or film or is it something about the medium of video games that um makes it hard to port into like something you can only look at and not interact with i don't know what, what challenges do you see when it comes to interact or adapting video games yeah, I think it's, I think people make it harder than it needs to be, first of all, like I, um, and maybe again, maybe the wrong IPs get chosen um, for sort of profit driven reasons. So they try to pick, yeah, big AAA blockbuster games to remediate because they 
are pretty confident they can tap into a large existing fan base. Um, but obviously, yeah, like some of the best uh, storytelling and, you know, the most interesting characters are, you know, and same for like Hollywood, right? Like some of the best storytelling and most interesting characters are not in the Hollywood blockbuster, but they're in more of like, yeah, the the art film or like, I don't know, the serious drama or whatever. Like those genres exist within the world of video games too. It's just they are, yeah, they're less reliable money makers I guess they're more of a risk and therefore don't get adapted ad- adapted that's a great word <laughs> they don't get adapted out of the out of their medium as much but I think like yeah like the question is is there something fundamentally challenging about turning a game into uh, a more linear media whether that's like well under kind of more a less interactive medium like film or television um And I think like, yeah, two things. First of all, you have to understand whether your video game is a playground or a toy. So like uh, Mm. Harry Potter playground, right? It's a play space. It's an imaginative space. It's got all of these props within it, sure. But the point is that when you sit down to read Harry Potter, what you're actually trying to get from that is this scaffolding for an imaginative world um, that you can then you know, tricks behind the characters as they go off on their adventures, sure. But yeah, mentally, you know, the kind of invisible body that you move in your mind is you and you're you're the one kind of traversing that world. So that's, as I said, easy to adapt into a video game because video games are playgrounds, virtual playgrounds. If you have something that's a toy, like I would say Mary-Kate and Ashley, the, 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 the characters are toys. They're, they're <laughs> dolls. Um, Halo or like Call of Duty or whatever, they're toys, they're a toy gun. Um, so they're centered around this, like, this key prop, this, this, yeah, like, I mean, in, if you play first person shooter, like Halo or Call of Duty, all you see of yourself is your gun. You got two little hands, but yeah, you are a gun, you become synonymous with the gun. And that's the same thing that happens in toy play, like you, you project yourself onto a, a playful object um, that kind of functions this, this like talisman connection between the immaterial world of your imagination and the the material world in which the toy object exists. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2, fantastic video game. That's just a hobby horse. It's just a rocking horse. <laughs> it's just a pony <laughs> that you're you're swinging around on. Um, and that's absolutely fine. Like I, uh, I, I, I mean, I freaking love Red Dead Redemption 2. It's, it's a masterpiece, but you have to know what, you have to know what, what you're dealing with. Um, and, yeah, so then if you try to take that framework back to source material from from film and television or you try to like, yeah, like move those things, you have to make sure that you're not um, killing the kind of play that's inherent in the video game object. So again, I bounced off Assassin's Creed the movie after 20 minutes, but that's because they didn't understand that that game is a playground. Like what's fun about that game is this... Um, undirected vast exploration where you can take any desire path through that world and encounter you know interesting narrative vignettes or uh, I don't know the hustle and bustle of like a new environment or the slight change from the sounds of like crickets at dawn through to the yeah I don't know the yelling of mercenaries who want to flay you alive or whatever it is depending on the depending on which Assassin's Creed game Um, and yeah from what I got in the film is like they were trying to 
I don't know, make it about a character or something. I was like, it's not about a character. <laughs> it's about, it's not about like context, complex social relationships between, you know, independent agents. It's, it's just a playground and I want to see the playground. And yeah, I feel like that was, uh, that didn't really happen. Um, but yeah, long story short, I do think like certain genres are inherently playful or game-like, like detective genre things are like really, really gameful. They have win conditions and fail conditions. They have puzzles to solve. They have information to synthesize. Like they travel really well, like from linear TV to games and back again. Um, but yeah, like, so I think gameful genres, like genres that seem to have rules that like, that's easily transportable. Playful genres where you're thinking about playgrounds and toys. They just need like a, a more attuned hand to make sure that 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 type of play that style of play that imaginative make-believe let's pretend play stays alive when you when you shift it and it should do like there's so many play theorists who think that um you know reading fiction or whatever is just the natural evolution or the natural extension of make-believe play um I'm completely blanking on the name of the theorist. I want to say Kendall Walton. That <laughs> might be completely wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a classic psycho psychoanalyst, child developmental guy from the 70s. But he basically said like, um, yeah, like the the crime thriller begins with the toy gun. The, the, the family melodrama begins with the doll. And yeah, essentially said that when imaginative play with our bodies when we physically enact imaginative play becomes like socially unacceptable because we're too big to be yeah <laughs> talking to ourselves or you know it's no longer like there's no social norm in which that's okay um yeah then we have to internalize and domesticate that playful impulse which really never leaves us it's like a hallmark of our species right we're lifelong players it's a deep primal evolutionary adaptation that we have which is vital for how we're able to be so well, first of all, how we're able to adapt so well to different situations because we're constantly mentally simulating alternative imaginative scenarios, but also why we're able to bond so closely with each other is because we're able to experiment with like conditional social rules to be like, okay, imagine we're going to play rugby. We're going to beat each other up, but it's not going to be because I hate you. It's just because we're going to experiment with these emotions of aggression and jostling for social status, but within the safe confines of this pitch and when we leave we're still going to love each other and be best buds and go have a beer so like that's the our sociality and our inventiveness are like rooted in this instinct for play um but yeah as I said it would be very weird if you saw a gro full-grown adult like <laughs> I don't know riding around on a on a mop being like oh, I'm a wizard well to be fair if you're into LARP which I am uh or like tabletop role-playing <laughs> games not that unusual <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so like video games, they they speak to a primal part of us. And I think we're very sensitive to the fact when that deep need doesn't get met, when it gets like mediated out of its playful context, when it suddenly becomes not play. And if you're, yeah, if you're not able to preserve that essence of play, then unfortunately your adaptations go on a flop. No, thank you so much for talking. Like, that's incredible. I feel like I'm learning so much already. Um, I mean, my simple, like, I mean, I guess we should just transition to talk about the game or the show of the hour, which is, um, the most recent adaptation of the video game, The Last of Us. I mean, I guess I'm curious just to start 
with this section is have you i assume you've played the game uh, have you played the game i guess is the first question um do you have like a particular relationship with it um whether academically or personally um yes i have played all three games in the series i love the games like i'm a i'm a mega mega fan um, my favorite in the series is actually the prequel, Last of Us Left Behind, which was the episode um, with Ellie and Riley in the arcade, but that's like a standalone game in the series. Wait, what? That's a thing? Oh my God, that sounds so good. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like, again, obviously, I think that episode was brilliant. Like, they they did a really, really good job of it. But of course, like, what you can't tell from the episode is that in the game, you can just hang out with Ellie and Riley for like the whole night if you want to. They have what feels like endless dialogue exchanged between them. Um, there is so much like there's so many like emergent contextual moments that come out if you choose to do things in a certain order or, you know, you can stay trying on masks in the Halloween shop for like an hour if you want to in the game. Incredible. And yeah, it's it's just it's also just it's a it's such a sweet and beautiful game. I think again, maybe I should also say that my PhD research was on child characters in video games and Ellie was one of the um, sort of pivotal child characters that actually drew me to the topic in the first place and I think the game series as a whole is all about the tension between like trying to preserve the sanctity of childhood whilst Mm -hmm. also realizing or like also being forced to let go of the fact that um, it doesn't really serve anybody um, so anyway, the the Last of Us Left Behind is like this beautiful celebration of like childly joy, and it's weird as well because um, normal teenagers aged thirteen or whoever old they are in that game, twelve, thirteen, they wouldn't necessarily feel the same sense of wonder and almost like sublime awe that these girls have in the mall. So you kind of get this double like hit of of like childly joy because you get teenagers who are just yeah, like obviously. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say something horrible, like suckling at the teeth of consumerism. That's not what I mean. But just like, you know, they're in a shopping mall. It's where teenagers hang out. It's where they have some sense of autonomy. And like, you know, they kind of, they're trying to build their, you know, burgeoning identity by trying on certain clothes or like um, engaging in certain hobbies or whatever. Um, plus this like absolutely like very young child, like five-year-old at Christmas kind of joy because they've actually never been to a mall before and they've never they don't even they're they're so innocent and naive about like the world before so yeah so the whole whole like game is just this yeah really joyful um playful experience obviously then it has the high drama (laughs) of a zombie chase and a shootout and like um a tragic Romeo and Juliet ending of like a you know a sort of suicide pact except the poison doesn't work just like in the OG Romeo and Juliet thing except this time it's not poison it's a bite from a cordyceps ridden zombie um but yeah that's why I love that game um but yeah I think like in terms of actually quick question on that sorry yeah is so like sorry it's just informational so in the game do you actually see the end if that makes sense of the night so in the show in that episode it's cut off right and then you get later on ellie recounting the the end of that night uh, with riley uh, i'm wondering in the game do you actually like go through that romeo and juliet scene as well no so they give them their privacy which i think is the right move also because wow. the game 
The Last of Sapphire is, is a prequel, so you already know what happens. So it's almost more beautiful, I think, to just leave it to the player's imagination, like what that, like what the horror of that moment would have been like. Um, yeah, again, I think it's really impressive. Naughty Dog is pretty good at storytelling in general, but I think The Last of Us in particular, they know when to pull back and when not to kind of indulge the player's like voyeurism and when to, yeah, even though you're constantly looking at the world through these characters' eyes, you're experiencing the world from their perspective, they still manage to, um, yeah, like not kind of lean into that identity tourism thing that we talked about before of just being like this person is just a cipher it's just a skin suit that you get to wear but no they like say no this character is like you should respect them as if they were a real person essentially um which yeah, wow, I, I love that it's is a good choice um yeah i think the last of us when it came out in 2012 the last of us part one and um from like an academic perspective i think it symbolizes like the moment in which video games achieved the goal of their cinema envy um which i think was a really important moment for 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 games like they wanted to tell stories like like the movies tell stories and they wanted their game worlds and characters to look and feel like real actors in real locations um and it was a sort of holy grail to achieve and the last of us did that and then it realized, well, it realized the industry, maybe some parts of the industry realized that that was a bit of a false grail and that video games can do other things better. And we don't need to have like photorealistic graphics or um, like fully, you know, motion capture, fully acted, fully voiced characters necessarily to be powerful as an art form, which is not to like take away from The Last of Us. It it nailed that. It did it really, really well. <laughs> it finally, I can't remember the quote, but like, I think it was Stephen King being like, oh, you know, the real reason why video games aren't art is because you're never going to like cry when you get to level 12. Um, and the last of us was like, you're going to cry at level four, level 12, level 18, Stephen, you're going to cry. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's kind of like, a, it's like a, a watershed moment or some kind of like turning point in the canon where they hit that goal. And once we'd kind of like, we, as if I made it, <laughs> once the industry had like proven itself and like cut its teeth in that way, I think it, it was like important so that it could then, yeah, go back to tune graphics and, you know, uh, pokey pokey, fighty fighty, shooty stabby, which is what the medium is so good at. <laughs> that was I ironic, by the way. I, that's not how I really felt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I'm, I'm curious, though, because as a person who's never played the game, and I assume, Chris, you haven't as well, or nope. correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, good. Um, how does the game actually work materially? If you're like playing it, what character's perspective are you working from? Like, how does this, like, what's going on? It's very interesting because <laughs> for me, it's hard to even imagine this being a video game, except maybe, okay, you're Ellie or you're Joel, maybe you're both. Like, I don't know, maybe you're just like a third person who's walking around with them. All I'm not right, sure. Are you yeah. Tommy? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> really good question. Uh, so, one thing many people don't know about The Last of Us is it's actually a crafting game. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> People think it's like a shooter or like maybe they think it's like a stealth game. It's not. It's a game about crafting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, at least from my perspective. Um, no, so you play as Joel, but okay. you have Ellie with you like, yeah, the whole time. And obviously, even though you have a kind of embodied connection with Joel, so your, your controls are like physically operating him, you have very much like a psychic connection with Ellie in the sense that 
you know, you like Ellie, it's your first time leaving the quarantine zone. You don't know anything about the world. You're still learning how to use tools. You're still learning what, you know, how to kill a clicker that you can't just shoot them with a with a pistol. You have to either shotgun them 10 times in the face or you have to stab them from behind in the neck. You know, all of these things that Ellie is like learning, you are right there with her. So firstly, it's interesting because again, they're not trying to do the, the avatar as cipher that the player can just project themselves onto kind of a blank screen joel is very much like a well he's a very traditional video game character in the sense that he's a a kind of middle-aged white muscly guy who's good for the gun who's very stoic who's very emotionally repressed um who's very tough scars day old stubble all that kind of thing um except again what's interesting about this game is that it knows it knows its genre and its audience so well. So like it knows what it should be doing. It knows what a zombie game should be like. And it knows what a protagonist of a zombie game should be like. And yet, I think because of Ellie mostly, but also because of um, how they conceive of the apocalypse, there is this then like that, all those tropey, cliched, like straightforward things, which again, like in a video game is not bad. I think it's really also worth pointing out that in a video game, stereotypes, tropes, you know, cliches, they're incredibly useful because they are like, that's the only way to explain to the player how to play. That's the only way of communicating the rules of a game, right? Is to just tell them like, you know, this is good, this is bad, this is who you are, this is how you interact with the world. Um, and so, you know, stereotypes are like pretty useful tools for ensuring there's not a lot of ambiguity about what the player should be doing, what their objective is and so on. Anyway, mm. yeah, so you have, Ellie um and she is just like she's so knowing first of all which I think is really interesting for a child character in particular she's not goo goo baby eyed um you know classic kind of escort mission where you're she's just a burden and it's her kind of cuteness or her capacity for suffering that makes you want to keep carrying her around like a backpack like no she's very not that she's really self-aware of what she should be and she just refuses to play that role so and she refuses to be stereotyped either like she refuses to be simplified um and yeah so essentially the game starts out as this maybe kind of not cliched because i said like the, the 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 way they conceive of the apocalypse is like really interesting and very new um because it's not like this kind of gritty you know urban sort of cyberpunky kind of sci-fi apocalypse which i find unbelievably boring like I cannot tell you how dull I find those those kind of concepts um but it's actually like this really lush world of green abundance and it's like a second garden of Eden um and all of you know humanity's shaping of the surface of the world is just being grown over like scar tissue and it's interesting because the game is set before um like the age of the climate crisis like it's set you know, early 2000s before we really had the language to, I mean, we did obviously still have like the Silent Spring in the 60s or whatever, but I feel like Gen Z is like their childhood and their worldview is absolutely defined by the language of environmental crises. Um, but yeah, the game is set before that. So they don't even have the kind of Extinction Rebellion, the humans are the real virus kind of um, like language. Um, and yet playing it now, like from 2023, post-COVID specifically, um, you can't help but look at this like rewilded world and these like these cities that are like kind of just absolutely bursting with life um, and not think through like how humanity's like victory 
over the cordyceps is not necessarily an unambiguous victory, like if you're able to zoom out and have a bigger picture. Um, so anyway, the apocalypse is conceived of in a really interesting and unique way. But yeah, it's the character of Ellie who I think really pulls the game away from those railroads um, and those cliches. Um, because yeah, like you just, you care about her huge, like hugely because she is this, you know, tomboy who's also sensitive, who's afraid, but who's also incredibly brave, who's really funny, um, but really tough. And like, yeah, I don't know. Um, she gives you a reason to play just in the same way that she gives Joel a reason to live. Like she doesn't just redeem Joel on his character arc of being like a gruff, grumpy, morally ambiguous anti-hero, but like she she is the player's reason for continuing to like persist in the world and she pulls you away from that kind of strategic game like thinking of like I just want to win the game I want to get the high score I want to defeat all the bad guys to actually be like no I want to be here for her and with her and again that's down to like incredible writing um an amazing performance by Ashley Johnson but also the way her AI is programmed for example like if you I've done this in the game if you, as Joel, run around Ellie in circles, for example, she responds to you and she's like, you're being so weird. Like, what are you doing? Are you trying to get exercise? Are you trying to, like, what are you, like, <laughs> can you stop doing that? It's, and, you know, and that kind of thing. And also every time that you kind of trace back through an environment to find her, she's always doing something. She's never just standing there like a classic NPC, you know, waiting for you to then trigger the action. She's, like, interested in stuff. She's reading her joke book. She's looking around. She's exploring um and also if you want to have additional dialogue with her you actually have to go up to her press triangle <laughs> to have that but because of that it like it devolves ownership of your relationship with Ellie to the player so that you feel personally invested that your relationship with her is a result of your intervention your extra effort and your kind of yeah your nurture of her your 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 chaperoning of her your tenderness towards her your generosity with her or whatever like all of those emotions belong to you as the player and therefore you end up with people who talk about my Ellie you know she's your Ellie she's not the generic Ellie that exists in some kind of platonic ideal like the relationship that you built with her is is unique to you and yeah I think that's and again it's not super original in the sense that obviously the the Walking Dead game that I already talked about that also has a very cute child character called Clementine who your whole you know your world revolves around trying to protect her um but again, Clementine falls much more into that like simpering baby category, even though she is cool and she is she is her own person. Um, but yeah, I think it's like down. It really is down to Ellie. Like she is the emotional heart of that game and it wouldn't be what it is without her. That seems so intimate, the relationship you build with her in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have so much time with her. You have 45 hours. Like I think TV shows are better for game adaptations and films because they come closer to the, like, the amount of hours that you actually have with a character in a world. But again, like so much of the, the my, my favorite bits of The Last of Us are like when you get the horsey, as I said before, love that rock and horse. Um, but yeah, you're just riding around with Ellie, like through these beautiful, you know, Midwestern vistas with lakes and mountains. And there's not a lot of danger. There's not a lot of like immediate stress in those sections. Um, it's like a road trip movie, basically, <laughs> with like a really fun buddy riding shotgun. That seems incredible. Actually, a question. So when they're like, so when Joel is 
injured for that one episode, I guess. And mm. Ellie's off doing her own thing. In the game, does that kind of switch? Do you play Ellie at that point? Yes. Yeah. So in the game, again, there's no way they could have replicated this in the TV series. But in a game, Joel dies a fair amount. Not as much as like, I think, a sort of classic like run and gun shooter like Call of Duty or whatever. But it's more stealthy. You're more strategic. But even if you, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, like Joel will die. And obviously you then respawn, you restart from your save point. And at that scene where Joel gets like, as we find out later, like grievously injured, but it's, it happens like in a university building and he's thrown backwards off of a balcony and he's literally impaled on a metal pole. Like it does not look survivable at all. <laughs> and then the screen wow. cuts to okay. <laughs> And then you're like, okay is it gonna reload is it is like are we gonna like respawn and you don't and there's a long pause and then the screen you know like fades up again and months have passed because it's now winter and you're playing as ellie um and obviously in a game when you die if you don't come back as the player character you're immediately like oh fuck that he's gone like that character is no longer available to me um not you don't think you've, you've like messed up like I think I understood it was obviously like a, a plot point that was you know out of my control but you think that Joel is dead and the game lets you think that for about 25 minutes wow. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> it was such like a yeah like a mind-blowing moment um and then you come back and you find that the Joel is there and then again it's difficult because you cannot really translate this into a into a film medium where it's not interactive but when you play as Ellie, there's like differences that are really subtle in how she handles. Like she's quicker than Joel, for example, but she's less strong. So she can't like punch a clicker or whatever. Um, but she can, you know, she can stealth really well. Um, that's the sequence where she's hunting in the snow is like the first kind of time that you experience what it's like to play as Ellie. And you're really aware of those like really subtle differences in yeah how she moves and what her abilities are. But what I think is super cool is that because you've been playing as Joel, you still know the controls. So even though there's like an unfamiliarity to them, you're still like, yeah, you, you, you're you good at, I don't know, aiming and shooting, for example. And that's such a beautiful metaphor for how Ellie has learned just from shadowing Joel and being with Joel um, and how he, when he eventually does give her a gun, um, <clears throat> how he kind of like trains her how to shoot or whatever. And that is like perfectly captured in the fact that you are now, you know, replete with Joel's skills able to you know help Ellie survive and like Ellie's survival is dependent on the fact that she's like managed to onboard all of those skills from Joel which are, which are represented by you as the player moving between characters so when you think that Joel is dead <clears throat> there's something incredibly poetic about the fact that like his legacy lives on in you the player who is now like able to guide Ellie and yeah hone her skills then of course you find out he's still alive <laughs> um, and you go back to playing as Joel at the end of the game but yeah it's it, you can't oh. really replicate that no, that seems really difficult. I mean, some of that, I mean, in terms of like the learning process and Ellie kind of learning some of the skills that from Joel and seeing her mature in that ability to hunt a little bit and things like there are some things you start to see with her, the way that she scouts and the way that she kind of like engages with the world. Um, but that, that level, I think central to their relationship. But as you said, that like interactiveness, the, the, even the small nuances of her being faster, but not as strong and all these little details. Um, it's incredible to hear all of that. This is making me really want to get a PlayStation and, and play this game ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I think we should maybe get to talking about the show at hand. Um, I guess my first question for you is, 
what are some of your high level thoughts of the show? Is it something you enjoyed watching? Um, I mean, were you disappointed? Uh, I'm just like wondering to hear what are your reactions? Yeah, I I really liked it. Like on a on a high level, yes, thumbs up. I think it was it was really good. Um, I thought like yeah, Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal were amazing performers, um, and both of them like more than did justice to the game characters. Um, I. Th- thought it was like it was an interesting line that the show tread where sometimes it was so faithful to the game that it basically just shot for shot remediated a specific cutscene. Um and I don't know whether that was done to pander to the fans because they were maybe afraid that uh I don't know they were they were touching something that didn't belong to them and that people would be like up in arms if they didn't um if they weren't like adequately respectful of the source material. And they're not necessarily wrong in thinking that the there are like some parts of the fan base of the last of us that are really really toxic and awful and you know as an example when the last of us part two came out no spoilers um but something happens in that game pretty early on that angered the fans and you know they they're absolutely vicious in how they attacked you know the 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 actors via social media and the kind of review bombing they did of the game and so on so i'm not saying that the tv show was wrong to be cautious around that but I also think it was quite clearly better when they deviated from the source material like obviously episode three which incredible (laughs) incredible yeah it's it's incredible and yeah you can't have that in the game because in the game you have your perspective has to stay tied to Joel and Ellie like you have to stay with the with the tool that you're interacting through right like you can't just zoom out (laughs) and see other parts of the world and every time the tv show did that every time it extended like even those small moments like the um the kind of 1970s interview at the start of episode one where they had um you know scientists talk about like the the potential like reality of a cordyceps fungus like taking over humans um or when they showed the scientists in indonesia like those were fantastic moments of storytelling and that yeah i mean i think it's quite telling that the fact that it's those moments of deviation that um that like really sh- like stuck out as being particularly impressive yeah i think it goes to show the difference in the mediums and when you consider what television can do as you said that can actually exceed what a video can 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 do in some ways in terms of switching perspectives in terms of these kind of character developments and long kind of times oh, i'm thinking of episode three because that's like such yeah. a good um like just, uh, just what a beautiful story between uh oh my god i can't bill and frank uh, yeah. but we'll get to that i think in the future uh, but i think if you consider like I mean, I, well, I guess right now we can get to it. <laughs> when you consider sort of the depths of characters that these shows depict, there's two that stick out to me, two kind of um, pairs that really I resonated with me. And that's Bill and Frank, clearly. I guess you can add a third mm-hmm. one when you consider um, uh, Riley and Ellie, obviously. Um, yeah. I, I, for some reason, thought of it as a little bit different because of Ellie has a wider perspective. But that's definitely when you consider their episode together, um, a, a binary there. And then as well, one thing that really stuck out to me was Henry and Sam. Um, and yeah. I was like, I really loved all three of those pairs. Uh, I guess, I don't know what how to really ask you a question on this because it's so hard to say, like, okay, what did you think about these three things? I think you can because like, so again, the way that video games get around the fact that you're really tied to one you know, player's perspective and you're, so you're stuck with them 
on a timeline obviously you have flashbacks and stuff like that in video games but um the the playthrough is like you know moment to moment it maps onto like real time so and you know in a film and television show you can cut between points in time to kind of make sure that the pace is snappy and that yeah you kind of stay within um yeah a recognizable narrative structure but yeah video games are, are you don't have you can't just edit <laughs> between locations or whatever yeah. um so but the way the video games get around that is they do narrative uh architecture or environmental storytelling so they'll have like you know, they might have like a TV or a radio broadcast that tells you something about a little bit of the exposition that you had, at, for example, at the beginning of episode one. Or um, you might have, I don't know, yeah, posters or like, I mean, a classic one is like graffiti. <laughs> a lot of the story of the Fireflies and the Fedra kind of, um, yeah, like rebellion is told through graffiti in, in the game. Got so it. it's yeah. like there if you want to find it, but you don't have to necessarily spend time like reading, you know, um, this bit of graffiti and tying it back to something you saw elsewhere um so for example like there is a couple in the game like just a pair of corpses basically that you do find at one point and they're in bed um with their arms around each other and with a suicide note so like it's not actually bill and frank um, okay <laughs> but it's just like another another couple um so again and there's lots of like little moments where you find you you know you you, you see you realize that somebody has gone on a scouting mission to get medicine and then later on in the game you come across the sick child well the body of the sick child that that character was off to get medicine for and so you kind of retro retroactively you draw out the narrative these little narrative moments from that but yeah I mean they're optional essentially like you don't have to do that there's no ludic punishment for failing to synthesize you know the character arcs of like peripheral characters basically um but but yeah, film and TV is way better for that kind of thing. On the flip side, I would have to say that, um, so the episode with David in it, the the pedophile creepy pastor yeah. guy. Creepy pastor, that's not what I meant. Like he's actually a pastor, like a priest. <laughs> that was so weird that it came out. Uh, yeah, the weird vicar dude. Um, I I think maybe because I knew what like the, the what, you know, the story was or whatever I didn't find that as scary as I found it in the game and again I think if I if I kind of try to figure out why that is it's because um well thematically I think it makes sense in the in the tv series like he is this anti-dad and the whole game is a dad game it's all about dads doing dad stuff and you kind of need a worse dad than Joel so that you, he can have like a foil where he looks like the better choice of yeah. parent even though he's not the best parent um because yeah you have this like horrific example of what fatherhood could be when it's really perverted and and gone completely wrong um but yeah i think in the game like the moment that the penny dropped that he was well first of all that he was a cannibal um because you because you know that in a game if your character dies they're probably going to respawn but if your character gets mutilated that's a non-reversible like um like happening basically and <laughs> as a player like as a player you want to protect your characters and yeah you don't want so the cannibalism is is, is already like oh no um and then you find out he's a pedophile and what's so terrifying about that is that there's something that could happen to ellie and you as a well i, I assume you're an adult if you're playing this game um, all of that dad emotion that you've built up um, through the whole dadening of the experience suddenly is is so urgent and is so real because 
and again there's a whole thing in game studies the gamer's dilemma which is why is like the murder why is murder okay in video games but pedophilia is not if we argue that murder is fine because it's not real and it's virtual then people can draw a line between what they do in games and what they do in reality which is a lot of the arguments we use to justify violence in video games then why are there not games where there's like pedophilia in it like why if it's if it's not moral because not immoral because it's virtual then blah 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 I mean I'm not going to go into that whole <laughs> philosophical <laughs> debate right now but I think this is a really interesting example because if Ellie gets killed in the game I guess you just assume she's going to respawn but if Ellie is like sexually assaulted or raped by this pedophile that is in some way and again we can think about all the different ways Ellie experiences lasting trauma um like she has to kill people and she sees people getting killed and she loses people that she loves and I think the, the, the film, the TV show did um, show how traumatized Ellie was from that chase sequence um, and when David finally catches her. But again, in the game, that's a much longer chase sequence. It's like 40 minutes of sneaking around that burning building. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in the TV show, how traumatized Ellie was, like how she was almost completely mute after the experience, um, made less sense than it did in the in the game. Because in the TV show, you're like, yeah, but like, you stabbed a guy well I suppose she's also traumatized by the fact that she did kill David in that really vicious way but I don't know that for me was like not a low point of the series but it was just a very clear moment where I was like ah this didn't grip me in the same way that in the game I was like sweating (laughs) at this point when I was playing yeah I think uh, on that note in particular we can get into like criticizing or just critiquing in general I I found it um I actually liked episode eight a little bit um i i found a couple faults in it i i found it very as someone who didn't know what was coming obviously it was a kind of like a culmination of her growth to a certain extent but also obviously but it flipped and in my mind what the flip was a little bit too slow uh too fast i mean and Mm. then in episode nine when you come up it seemed like there was an episode missing in my head there was some time that or some reconciliation or some um part of ellie's growth journey as you would call if you call it that in this in the arc of the show that that seemed as if as you said it was kind of i I forget what word you use but it seemed unjustified or just something was missing there um, in terms of how she was mute in that way um yeah i liked where they got uh but i feel like the journey to get there in those last couple episodes especially because this show was so meticulous throughout most of the season in terms of spending time with characters and having a lot of space for these growth moments for ellie in particular yeah Uh, and in this last couple from the second half of this episode eight to i guess the end of episode nine or the second or the first half of episode nine it does seem that something was a little bit missing in my mind yeah Uh, and maybe it's also to do with David's characterization too as just pure evil, but also as, again, he is a bit of a, a like a staid cliche in terms of like, oh, he's a creepy priest. It's like, yeah, everyone knows priests are creepy and everyone understands that type of power. Um, and there was nothing of either about like the identity of his character or because, you know, again, I want to call her Karen. I forget the name. She doesn't have a name in the video game, but the leader of the rebellion who is trying to kill Henry and Sam. Is her name Karen? Oh, yeah. She feels like a Karen. 
<laughs> oh, I think it's like Kristen or something. Something. Okay, okay. So it's something. Cool. <laughs> Kathleen. 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 Thank you. Okay, but she has big Karen energy. Um, but you know what's interesting <laughs> about about that character? I think some people didn't like her character that much, but I found it. I found that she was compelling because she was, she was. Yeah, I mean, she was giving a a, a timeless message about how power corrupts. Sure, um, and how might is right. Sure like everything in the game world tells us that these things are so but yeah she was characterized as this like whiny ass Karen and I don't know like that gave some flavor to her it gave it made her more scary I think because yeah. she wasn't like some big intimidating dude she was like this nasal voiced whingy um petty um, and she knew that about herself as well like she obviously took ownership of the fact she was like yeah I know that what I'm doing is absolutely vindictive and not for the benefit of the community but why should I do anything for the benefit of the community? Why can I not just do the thing that gives me the rush? So like, you know, I appreciated her as a character. I, I preferred her to David as uh, a villain as well. Um, more so because it seemed at least for a certain perspective, you can understand motivations a little bit more with her mm -hmm. as opposed to with David. It seems like, as you said, just like this black and white evil and good uh, battle, which yeah. I guess there's a place for that in storytelling. But when it comes to The Last of Us throughout the entire show, it, it was more living in the gray area. And Kathleen was a better representation of not maybe gray. Obviously, she's trying to, yeah. to murder <laughs> Sam and Henry. But when you consider what Henry did and what's, what Kathleen did, if you, if you just change a few variables here, you can see a perspective that Ka Kathleen, I keep calling her Karen. Absolutely. I want to call her Karen now. You can, <laughs> but you can see her perspective to a certain extent. And obviously, it undercuts the trope of the Midwestern housewife who is nice and friendly mm -hmm. and welcoming. And she speaks with the same accent. And it is very, it just, it's a much better nuanced telling of a villain uh, than the David one that we got in the last Definitely. episode. Yeah, I feel like you see the true form of the Midwestern housewife in her. Like you see what that role is actually about. Like but the 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 accurate performance of the Midwestern housewife is still about grasping for power and control. And um within a community, like the Midwestern housewife wants to run her community, but she's because of the patriarchy, you know, isn't allowed to do that in such a barefaced, bald way. So she does it in like using the skills that are available to her. She plays the system rather than uh trying to get rid of the system so she's not a real revolutionary in in that sense but yeah and I think like and Henry as well is like a great example of so in the game you don't get much of Henry's backstory um really so but I know yeah it's and like again in the game like because most people that you encounter are foe like even the people that you're working with the fireflies like that could flip at any moment as it does um and you could go from being you know this very kind of like fragile allyship to being suddenly trying to kill each other again but then yeah there's these characters and I think it's because you know because Sam is is a kid and having a child with you in a world which is all about might is right um shows that you you don't subscribe to that you think that there is something else of value um like there's value in like taking care of the weak. And so that kind of selfish individualism of like, I will be the lone survivor, you know, every man for himself thing. Um, yeah, basically having a child with you in a video game is kind of like a, a certificate of your morality. It's like a <laughs> physical manifestation of like, I am a good person. And so, yeah, yeah you see these people and, you, and in the game again, because of those emotions of agency, you think, oh man, I hope I don't have to kill you. I hope we could be friends. Like I've, it's a lonely world out here. It's just me and Ellie. Like I would love to like, hang out with some other people and you know and then again in the game 
you don't really get that as much in the in the TV episode because I obviously just didn't have time. But it's so nice just watching Ellie and Sam be kids together. And like in the yeah. game, they go into a toy shop and they're Aww. just like bouncing around this toy shop. Like, and they're more of a similar age in the game. And in the game, um, so it's actually he's not like Sam isn't deaf in the game, um, which I thought was a really interesting and like again a really cool like deviation from the script that they chose to do that in the um in the tv show not least because one of the scariest things in the game are the clickers and you if you're deaf and you can't hear a clicker coming like yeah. you're you're screwed so like the added vulnerability that it gives to Sam, and also like, really... symbolically it's literally the inverse of a clicker right yeah exactly yeah it's so true like yeah. I, I think all the children are in a way it's like anti-zombies but yeah like mm -hmm. in the way they did that it makes him like yeah the perfect inversion um but yeah, so they just love telling puns to each other. And again, one of like the best moments in the TV show was where Ellie said the thing about, did you hear uh, that diarrhea is hereditary? It runs in your genes. And then finally Joel cracks and he laughs yeah. like that same moment. Not quite like that, but that happens in the game as well, where Ellie finally like catches him off guard with a very bad pun from her Will Livingston's um, pun book. And he breaks and he laughs. And it's like, again, it has the same power in the game, like the release of tension um, it's so good and anyway yeah it's just so lovely seeing like Sam and Ellie bond over their shared love of bad jokes um, but yeah so I mean I think they did a great job with that in the in the tv show to be honest but yeah I just it, it definitely brought back like really fond memories of the game and then obviously the absolute like tragedy of what happens um, what happens to Sam <laughs> um, does the same thing happen to Henry as well does he make the same choice in the show? Yeah. In the does. game, I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he does. And again, because it's a game, the guilt that you feel, like, you think, if I'd only been quicker, if I'd only, like, knocked the gun out of his hand, if I'd only been armed, you know, or whatever it is. But, I mean, I think it actually even happens. It, at least part of it definitely happens in a cutscene. Like, I think when uh, when Henry shoots himself, it's in a cutscene. But, yeah, just because it's interactive medium, like, not only do you feel, like, shock and, like, you know, incredible sadness about the fate of these two kids, like these two young people after all they've been through. But you also feel that crippling sense of guilt, like oh, we should have done, we should have, we could, we could have intervened and we didn't. And yeah. Wow. Um, oh wow. yeah. So I was going to say about Kathleen. So the, the other thing I like about how, what they did with that character in the TV show is they didn't, they also like lent into the poetic justice of what happens to you if you are in a, a Midas right world, especially if you don't value the child. Um, I think it's like she gets killed by a child clicker. And that to me was like perfect. So not only was it like good TV, silly TV, but I was like, it's poetically just. And then I feel like with David, they missed the the poetic justice that you could have given. Like his character seemed predictable and flat and they could have then like turned that on its head by having his death represent like yeah whatever the inversion of uh pedophilia would be but um but they didn't so i guess i mean we've talked about some of the characters that have been a part of this whole journey um my question i guess for you is what are some of like i mean you mentioned some of the scenes like the henry and sam um death scene that was in a cut scene what are some of the other like scenes that came straight out of the video game whether they worked for you or not that's another question i guess but um in terms of them being quote-unquote faithful to the video game what are some of those examples that you could give to us as someone who doesn't know a game at all um the final episode like the 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 kind of fight sequence 
going through the hospital um was yeah I mean that to me like really captured what that felt like to play through in the game the locations were the same and um yeah that was like a really accurate um yeah it was almost like a nostalgic experience actually watching it because I was like oh I remember this um one of my favorite moments in the game was the scene with the giraffes um and I was Mm -hmm. so happy that they kept that in I thought that was like again just like such a magical moment I suppose one thing that you might not get from watching the tv series because the tv series is pretty grim and pretty dark and can be quite grueling to watch but the game actually it definitely has scary moments like moments where your heart rate is spiking and or like you know tragic moments morally questionable moments whatever but it's also very fun (laughs) there's like a lot of play and joy in the game that I think maybe tempers some of the the dark stuff like I said like just riding around on your horse the fact that so much of the game is just scrabbling through people's drawers trying to find bottles of pills or like trying to find alcohol so you can make a molotov (laughs) Uh, or like figuring out what to put in your backpack again like a lot of the game is like you just stop at a craft table and you try and figure out you know how many uh yeah how many shivs can I build from these like from this pair of scissors and this duct tape that I that I found um yeah so I think like in the game there's a bit more of that planning stage there's a bit more downtime I guess is what I'm trying to say in the game um but again that would be really bad to replicate in a tv show because no one wants like no one wants to watch grinding in a tv show and no one wants to watch like filler in a tv show so uh yeah it makes sense they didn't include those bits um i think the ending is really interesting to think about how similar it is to the game um because again like when the game came out there was a similar debate around whether joel did the right thing at the end um should he have I mean, what do you think? Do you think he should have saved Ellie or do you think he should have let the scientists operate on her? I mean, obviously, morally speaking, I would probably say he should have let them operate on her. Uh, but I don't think f- when you consider the journey that Joel's gone, gone on as a character, I think it's more does more justice to Joel as a character, especially considering the, at least in the show, they've hinted at him having a checkered past. Uh, as they've slowly... L- I guess, reveal the layers of that onion, but to kind of bring that also to fruition, um, I think that makes a lot of sense for his character to do what he did, especially dealing with the trauma of Sarah, obviously, and then how that, how he's basically, or very clearly, I think it was a little bit too on the nose in the finale in terms of um, basically uh, replacing Sarah with Ellie and mm. how just like double, it's a double layer of trauma combined with a man who you kind of don't want to have to deal with in this way. Um, I I don't think, I think it makes sense as Joel's character from the television show. And I don't know if that's different for the video game. If you would consider uh, Joel having to do this um, or falling into his, his violence um, tendencies, I guess. Yeah. I think like <clears throat> there is a symmetry to it and there is, that gives it a sense of consistency like even the way that he carries ellie at the end is like a physical reflection of how he carried sarah when mm-hmm. she was when she was shot in the beginning um so i guess i agree like it's consistent for joel's character but i have to say when you're when you're playing that final sequence of the game and you're literally shooting all of the fireflies like the people that you've been kind of tracking and you've seen what they're like you know you've seen that they're 
well, they're good people in the framework of the game. So they're like, they're not raiders, they're not cannibals, they're not pedophiles, they're not like corrupt military coup, like people, they are genuinely trying, they stand for something, they believe in something, they are doctors, they are educated, like, you know, different ways or whatever, they have skills um, beyond just skills with a gun. I mean, I was gonna say, when you have to then go and kill all these people, it you're just screaming at the television no no don't but you have to because if you don't they'll shoot you so there's no choice but there's also like you it feels awful yeah i feel like in a video game you'd feel really trapped in that scenario because as a viewer you're just like oh my god what's happening how is he doing this but as a video game you're the one doing it which is insane and I think yeah. that um, that actually leads to – I don't know in the video game if they build up the Fireflies more, but I felt like the show didn't spend enough time with the Fireflies. And I, yes, they spent time with Marlene. They had that um, beautiful like uh, pre um, you know, opening sequence to the – to the finale where you have oh, i think God, i forget her name so ashley good. johnson who like plays yeah. the actual ellie with just giving birth oh my god amazing <laughs> it's so it's so meta yeah. because she's giving birth to the character and it's like yeah. but she actually did though <laughs> yeah and it's it just the the scene it's just incredible how it, that's cut and how that's shot the one shot where she's literally holding up ellie in front of her face and the two of them looking directly at each other with the beautiful yeah. night like the night and the light with the flashlight ah incredible like uh, like set designing as well yeah. um i feel like though i would have loved to see more of the fireflies as that heroic organization that we were wanting i guess uh, then to really yeah. destroy that at the end to really hammer that home because i felt like uh, joel killing all these people was worse yes but it wasn't too much worse than what he had done already that we've seen uh, in my head but uh, maybe yeah. it's just I felt because the show is really operating in the gray, the negative of that is when you want to really hammer home the fall from grace of a character, if mm. you're destroying an organization that's gray. And I guess the fact that he did kill Marlene and I guess the doctor, killing the doctor in cold blood in that way, felt like those were definitely excessive. Uh, and yeah. I mean, obviously the whole thing was, but you no, know, it's just a, it's a great scene. I really have a lot to think about that. Yeah, I think like the, you know, when you're killing combatants, as it were, we almost like have a different set of morals when, at least when I'm playing a game, um, not in real life, it shouldn't be, but I guess it also is in real life. But, you know, like the idea of, you know, you wouldn't shoot civilian, you wouldn't shoot women and children. That's obviously an unheroic, immoral thing to do. And yet if somebody's shooting at you and yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely not self-defense, like Joel is 100% the aggressor in the final sequence, but yeah, I, but I think that all falls apart when the surgeon pick who becomes a very important character again no spoilers but like his death is super significant but when he picks up a scalpel and kind of like menaces you with the scalpel like the discrepancy and the I suppose like the ludic unfairness of that the fact that he is not uh, a kind of equal combatant um he's not a worthy adversary and it's so unsportsmanlike to shoot him as a video game player um yeah. you feel like a troll you feel like you're griefing and that's the kind of symmetry of how morally wrong it is to do what he does and I've, i i mean if you don't act if you like try to find other ways out the game ultimately like forces you to to do what what joel does um but i've read like accounts of people who for example ran out of the surgery room put down <laughs> their gun picked up a brick because you can in the game you spend a lot of time picking up bricks and bottles which you can use to like distract clickers runs back into the to the 
yeah, the operating theatre holding a brick and tries to throw a brick at the surgeon's foot. So he's not trying to hurt him. He's just trying to get him <laughs> away from the from the stretcher. So like, like, I think it was actually a female player. So she could pick up Ellie and leave. Um, but yeah, when she did that, like when the brick made contact with the surgeon's foot, his death animation just played. Like he just died <laughs> as if he'd been shot from being just hit with a brick. And so obviously that's a very silly and very stupid uh, it, it, like example of it. But like it shows you that, that you are kind of completely railroaded. Um, you don't get any choice as a player. Like you perform those actions. Um, so there's like still that sense of like ownership of what you do, but there's no agency. Um, and again, that's so much more powerful in a video game where you expect to have choice, you expect to have agency, you expect, even with a linear narrative like in um, The Last of Us, you still, it's still shocking and it's still surprising to feel such a sense of like disconnect and separation from what you want to do, what you know is right and what your character is going to do. But again, I still don't think that's like a, it's like a feature, not a bug kind of thing because I feel like that's exactly yeah. You know, you never get to hear Joel's inner monologue, thank God, because it would ruin, <laughs> it would, I would hate for him to have some kind of like weird chatty like thing, like many other video game avatars are just constantly talking to you about what they're doing. Um, Why is that a thing? I don't, it's just like, I hate, I, it's it definitely, I think it's supposed to create like closeness, but it, it really, for me anyways, has the opposite effect. <laughs> um, it's like the voiceover in television, right? As well, or in movies, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Also, I just don't think it, there's so few people who actually have a verbal inner monologue. It's just not realistic. Um, again, maybe it's like a medium envy thing where in novels, it's so common mm. to be able to read the thoughts of your character. Um, and no one except for James Joyce tries to do that in any sort of accurate way. But in uh, when we then make that explicit in video games, we realize that it's just a device. It's a rhetorical device. It's not a capture of reality. Um but yeah, so, but in that moment when you, you are like screaming at Joel, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why? No, like, that's the surgeon. Like, what? Um, that's probably what is, that probably is his inner monologue. And yet he somehow he's still compelled. And that conflict within him is kind of externalized in this rift, in this like rip between you as the player and the player character. Um, so I think it is actually like really accurate, especially like, you know, shooting Marlene, for example, who is really a likable character. Um, in the game well out of the tv series i think um you know the fact that you're just and again like you know how i said that the game moves away from the tropes and cliches of video games and that's what makes it amazing and that's what makes it special well that whole rescuing the damsel in distress that whole oh your princess is in another castle ending um of leaving the leaving bowser's dungeon with princess peach or whatever it is that's not what Ellie wanted and that's not what the game you feel like it goes against the grain of the game like what the game has been prepping you for the whole time which is that yeah. some stories are tragic and some stories require you to be selfless in ways that feel unheroic like sometimes goodness and morality is like to do nothing or to be weak or to be vulnerable or to be soft or to yeah to fail to act um yeah so then again like I don't know. It's a real strong sense of betrayal, I think, across multiple levels, which is not not satisfying because, as you said, there is a sense of consistency that that's probably what Joel would have done. And there's definitely a part of you as a player, the part of you that's like loved and protected Ellie for this whole time, who feels like, wait, I spent the entire game trying to make sure if she doesn't get killed. What am I doing, you know, now just sitting back while she's going to die? Um, and yet, yeah, there's also a sense of 
medium specific betrayal where you're like but this is a video game I'm supposed to get to call the shots um how dare you kind of wrench that agency away from me but again it works because it's a moment in which free will and whether we're just you know animals acting on impulse is a that is the point of the the final sequence I think yeah it's just uh I was watching it just amazed as a as a scene um I just I love the sound design of that scene and I don't know how it I mean, as you said, it's a, it's a game. It's not a cutscene, right? The whole end of it. I yeah, it's 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 interactive. Well, it's weird because, like I said, you can't not. You, it's almost like you just have to fulfill like pre-ordained steps. So you have to press X to trigger the next part, but not really. Like you are, you're still like aiming and shooting and stuff. But yeah, you can't choose to opt out <laughs> of that yeah. sequence. I just found that cuts or that not the cutscene, the last scene to be very. Uh, emotionally wrenching uh, as a as a viewer i guess and as as you reconcile with how joel is feeling and trying to guess at that inner monologue i guess as you as you called it yeah and i think like it's interesting if we think about again the child as the anti anti zombie and what's mm. interesting and specific about these type of zombies because the mushroom zombie people are a community and yeah it's yeah. disgusting and it's fucked up but like even in that the the scene the kiss uh, which isn't in the game but um is isn't it because like yeah it's disgusting how people are killed in the game by the cordyceps but that whole kiss thing where Tess dies and the little like I don't know what they are little feelers come out of his mouth you know you know the scene yeah. that I mean yep yep um <laughs> little <sandals. laughs> yeah the little yeah it's very very disgusting um and even the bit where you know that again it's not in the game but they're looking out from the balcony and they see that suddenly some of these like this pile of like mushroomy corpses gets knowledge about what some other mushrooms are doing elsewhere and they all suddenly stand up and start to move towards it so basically what i'm trying to say is like the mushrooms are this community they are like symbiotes kind of whether well, or not they're, they're obviously parasites they're like definitely parasites <laughs> on the humans <laughs> um but they they rely on each other um and yeah anyway so like as a kind of anti-parasitical relationship you then have the relationship between ellie and joel where in the beginning joel treats her like a parasite like she's useless to him it's just a classic video game escort mission and you know gamers hate those missions where they're forced you know their ability to enjoy the world and um, develop their sense of skill and mastery is impeded by having to like take care of this npc that just gets in the way you know their ai is janky so they start walking into walls or whatever or they cause you to fail in ways that are perceived as being unfair Obviously, Ellie is not like that, so that's fine. But then also, she becomes, she enters into a symbiotic relationship with Joel after a certain point when he finally trusts her, where she's finally given a gun of her own. And then they work together collaboratively to protect each other. And that's kind of epitomized in that, which was also in the TV show, how in the game, Ellie is constantly being boosted up to high levels so she can drop down, you know, ladders or ropes or whatever so Joel can climb up. So they're, in terms of solving environmental puzzles and how they traverse the space, they're like very much a team, basically. Um, and I think, again, something that you feel when you... And there's even actually in the in the TV show, there's like a little quip about it when they go to Tommy's commune and Maria is like, no, we are communists. And Tommy's like, nah, we're not yeah, communists. Yeah. This is America. And she's yeah. like, we literally live in a commune. <laughs> I don't know what you think that word means. Um, but, you know, they show that, like, humans are supposed to be symbi symbiotes. We're supposed to be symbi in symbiotic relationships with each other. We're supposed to depend on each other. Like, you know, we we survive together um, co cooperatively. 
not yeah like and obviously we see all these different ways that communities can be arranged um some using the might is right power thing but like yeah in the case of maria and tommy's communists where everything belongs to everybody you know the the, the animals and the plants or whatever anyway my, <laughs> my point is like again like the fact that if you let ellie die i guess at the end it would be the death of joel too and so i suppose yeah. and again the, the tv show does a really nice thing where they talk about a guy shot me and he missed and then the reveal like oh the guy was me the fact that yeah that for joel like his it's not just like his new identity or his redeemed identity is like obviously centering around his relationship with ellie but i really think that he yeah his his life is kind of also dependent on ellie's life which then gives you a bit more of a justification for why he does make the decisions that he does at the end yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful story of these two characters going together. And I mean, you, you do definitely always find the lone wolf and the cub trope, or uh, I assume you want to call it motif, uh, uh, around all of medium. Uh, Star Wars, not Star Wars, mm. wow. Yes, in Star Wars, but <laughs> also in a lot of different television. And it's just a common story. Uh, and I, I, I find this one to be very unique in its inception um considering ellie's initial characterization as uh it seems to me that she's more intelligent stronger she knows what she's doing a little bit um she kind of uh scoffs at the idea that she is um just the cub in this relationship as one who is i think she's 14 in the in in the game or no not in the game but in the in the show as well um as a 14 year old would do, but then her, her moments of, uh, she, I think she just gets better and better, um, as, as it goes along. And, um, I, I do find that dynamic to work for me between, for these two yeah. characters. And, um, specifically, I, I, I guess I resonate a lot with, um, the, with the Joel character. I think it's a quite common character that you see, but I like the, the investigation of the trauma that leads to the character becoming that and not only it's a one so often these kind of lone wolf journeys they are you get this grizzled vet basically character and then he becomes a nice guy throughout time right he learns the lessons Mm -hmm. through the cub and through through the kindness of the cub and the cuteness of it and then becomes this um this father figure that we all would aspire to be but yeah. in this case, you really get that that um, that sense at the beginning of the finale. But then by the end of the finale, you realize the trauma that informs a person becoming that person at the very beginning of their journey that yeah. we see them um, really is not a habit that you can just leave behind and put aside. And yeah. I think it was a very good. I mean, so on that end, I think the, the show does a really good job in terms of inverting expectations with regards to that common motif that we see. And then on yeah. the other end, in terms of as a zombie film or as a post-apocalyptic film, you mentioned the greenery and the beauty of the nature that exists. I found it captured that quite well, at least for me. Um when they were outside of the cities, just going between the lands and, and it felt so different than a lot of the other TV shows or a lot of the other depictions of specifically as post-apocalypse. And so in post-apocalyptic stuff, there's often like the zombie thing. There is also the environmental crisis thing. And I think this really 
carved a niche for itself, especially with mm-hmm. regards to the depictions of, the, I guess they're not officially zombies, but what are in effect zombies. And by, by, by not depicting them as the villain, right? And, and Joel says this early on where he says, okay, I'm, what are we worried about? We're worried about cordyceps. No, we're worried about people. And it yeah. is the people that are in their way that end up creating different um, rationales for themselves to develop different worlds uh, within this larger space that I found was absolutely incredible. And the diversity of those stories that the show is able to tell as you go along from step one to step two, step three, um, on the one hand, yes, it kind of seemed like a road trip movie or a road trip uh, show. But on the other hand, it's, it, it had such a, uh, a diverse character of, uh, voices as well as um settings that i found very um i don't know very very enticing to watch and made me excited for the next thing which is why episode seven kind of disappointed not episode seven episode eight kind of disappointed me Uh, yeah i agree i think the i think there's like that really key moment where it's very understated but they they meet with like an old an elderly indigenous couple who are like living in the wilds like I don't know in this kind of snowscape and you're kind of reminded like the apocalypse has happened for some people like people's worlds ended their entire their entire community was wiped out obviously I'm thinking thinking about like the genocide of indigenous people in the states but like that there were other apocalypses before this one um and a lot of like end of the world type of tv dramas they forget that the world has ended for some people like multiple times. And I just thought, again, like I'm not saying that they were making, you know, a big deep statement about it, but just that inclusion of, uh, you know, and the guy, the, the, the husband kind of comes in and he's like, I don't know, he's trapped some rabbits or whatever. And for him, like life goes on as it always has been because his life has been a kind of post-apocalyptic experience um, maybe. And so that he's maybe more adapted or like more better prepped than, I don't know, the kind of settler uh, colonizer Americas are for the apocalypse that comes when it comes. Um, And again, there's like another small moment that's not in the game, but like Maria gives Ellie a moon cup for her period and reminding like life goes on for people in the apocalypse like your body keeps on developing as a as a preteen or as a teenager (laughs) um and yeah I think like that was one thing that that I the the tv show did well is like the inclusion of just those small understated moments as a reminder like that the apocalypse isn't always about the the hyper-masculine militarized hero who goes on his revenge quest I mean it is like you mentioned like Joel's whole trauma backstory but I don't know if you picked up on you know the watch that his daughter Sarah gives him for his birthday in the opening sequence and then when Sarah is killed by being shot by the policeman the watch screen gets cracked and he wears the watch for the rest of the series it's literally like it's a time stamp of his daughter's murder it doesn't function as a watch and it's also a time stamp of the moment like the point of no return for him like the moment that Mm -hmm. I mean he literally he his botched suicide attempt is like also a metaphor for the death of the guy he was before and his rebirth as this like violent um yeah kind of immoral and sort of empty man um but again like the revenge quest is such a common trope in video games. There's often a kid that gets killed in the exposition or a wife or a mm. girlfriend or whatever. Um, and then that triggers, um, you know, 
10 hours of violence basically and it's used because most video game worlds want you to interact with them by shooting at them <laughs> and so you need an explanation like to justify why you can still be the morally good person and also the only way that you interact with your environment is just by killing <laughs> stuff and usually yeah the death of a child is like seen as so awful and so kind of yeah morally messed up that it then justifies the death of 100 henchmen and then I think again at the end of The Last of Us that messes with that because it should be fine for Joel to kill all the fireflies and kill the surgeon and kill Marlene because he's rescuing the daughter surrogate right like video games have trained us that that's how it's supposed to be but it feels bad it feels not good and it feels like wow maybe this trope is problematic maybe we should not justify an excess of bloodshed and gore in the name of the child dead or otherwise like I don't know again it's just it's I think because it refuses to be, it refuses to have like a, a black and white, good and bad moral binary um, that then makes it a bit of like a meta critique of the medium and of like, as you said, that trope is in so many different media, like not just in video games. Um, yeah, whether we should still lean on that as a plot catalyst or like whether we should still accept it as a justification for the continuation of that like hyper-violent male hero that we're supposed to glorify and lionize even though all he does is destroy things <laughs> this is a little bit of a diversion or off topic thing but um, have you ever seen the show station 11 no i haven't if you haven't checked it out i would really recommend it just like listening to because it is a post-apocalyptic show i think it's the best most creative post-apocalyptic show i've ever seen it doesn't have these kinds of tro i mean it has other things but it's it follows this um, woman, Kristen, um, who is living after the apocalypse or whatever it may be. And it's that she is in a, a traveling um, theater troupe who goes from town to town and and, and plays Shakespeare, basically, everywhere she mm, goes. Cool. It is an absolutely beautiful story of uh, what survives of humanity as a po mm. and in the post-apocalyptic world as opposed to the things that break down and the death and yeah. the destruction and the sadness. And there is sadness, obviously. Uh, a lot of people do die because it is an apocalyptic world. Uh, but it is... It's a beautiful journey for this character, her uh, her her personal um, emotional growth in this, this place and also how she deals with trauma in a completely different way. Uh, I just I found it absolutely beautiful. Um, I'd yeah. really, really recommend that for you and anyone who's listening. Uh, and actually, when I started watching, I hadn't watched that show. That show was from 2021. So I hadn't watched it um, until this year. And I started it as as I started The Last of Us. And for the first couple of weeks of oh. watching The Last of Us, I was just so much more enthralled by Station Eleven. And it was just like, that show is so much better than The Last of Us. And oh, it was really interesting to juxtapose the two. And I had to binge watch. I could not wait. So I just had to end up watching all of Station Eleven um, before I continued watching uh, The Last of Us because it was just, it was just an incredible um subversion of everything i expected and depiction yeah, I'll of definitely have oh, to yeah. watch it yeah, yeah, yeah i would love to know your thoughts on this because i think it's one of the best shows i mean i think that's like the key question of the last of us too is, is like what is the point in preserving the human race if humanity dies in the process and like humanity being defined as like our more positive qualities um and i think yeah i mean in the last of us like sorry in the walking dead i mean you spoilers for anyone who hasn't played it but 
your character, your player character, Lee, like he has to die at the end. There is no, there's nothing you can do to like have him not have him survive. And the whole point is that Clementine, the little girl that he's spent the last years of his life raising and protecting, like she is what matters. And there is no win or fail condition at the end of that game. Kind of same as The Last of Us. Like, I guess in zombie games, you expect to win by surviving. You get to win by killing all the zombies and still being alive at the end of it. But yeah, games like The Walking Dead and The Last of Us say like, but what's the point if like everything that was human about you was eroded and erased and yeah, like, I don't know, compromised in the process of your survival. And so, yeah, the fact that Clementine outlives Lee, like you win if you get a sense that you've like adequately prepared her for the world whilst also preserving her optimism and her sense of like trust or whatever. Um, and the same in like, I think the end of The Last of Us, if it had ended with, I don't know if it had ended differently, I guess you wonder if Joel's humanity had been restored, even if Ellie had died in the process. And again, I think like the child sometimes symbolizes the future in a bit too of like a straightforward way. It's like, oh, well, they're literally the future. Like they're, they're like the reproductive future of the human race. But I think it's also really important that Ellie is gay, not because like lesbians can't have children. Obviously they can biologically have children as many as they want, they should. But yeah, the fact that also Frank and Bill as well, like that they didn't survive um, in terms of like the their legacy, their biological legacy didn't survive them or whatever. But what actually survived was their humanity, like and their sort of joint suicide at the end wasn't the death of their, it was the death of their like human physical skin yeah. suits, meat sex. But it was actually what survived of them was the things that made them human, their shared love of music, their the way they like adored each other, um, you know, their creation of art, their, yeah, I don't know, their tinkering with their environment to make it look pretty. <laughs> Those yeah. things um, survive them. And that's their legacy. That's their immortality. That's their win condition. That's their win state. And I find that so much more interesting than just, yeah, like a more simplistic win state of like, did you, is your player character still got all its health points? by the end of the level. Well, because at a certain point, you have to justify why to keep humans around, right? It, it's, yeah. <laughs> you can assume, you can presuppose that the user or the viewer is uh, wants humans to survive, but why? And what are the conditions around of that survival? And I really actually, so when David was talking about the Cordyceps being a community, and sort of um, him, his reverence for it. Okay, it's coming out of his mouth, not the greatest source. <laughs> um, and his, but that idea that you, kind of you mentioned as well as the, as that symbiotic relationship of the of the cordyceps, I really wish that they played with that a little bit more in terms of like the value of that versus the humans. And I think it's a subtle message for not really that subtle. It, it, at yeah. least the, the the evilness of humanity is subtle. But I think that the potential goodness or of the messages of the cordyceps could be played up a little bit more um because i think at a certain point i think this show does a really good job of capturing those human moments with riley and and uh, or or henry and sam or uh bill and frank obviously mm. um but i wonder um how that plays out at a societal level and i like in terms of um creating society in which we want these humans to survive i guess or, or showing that humanity and i guess we have the tommy's commune so i guess i'm, I'm, I'm undercutting my own point here but i feel <laughs> like there 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 could be a little i felt maybe there could be a little bit more of that well they yeah like i, I know what you mean they they didn't 
they did I mean I guess like the thing maybe they could have been more explicit about it but like they're like oh this terrible thing about being a uh, being turned into a cordyceps thing is that you're just compelled to mindless violence all the time that's not like us right yeah like yeah. we're not compelled <laughs> to commit mindless violence all the time right we're not miserable and alone right yeah and it's like yeah okay I, I mean I guess the, the parallel is there maybe they didn't need to like push on it too much but yeah I know what you mean and they they could have potentially I think that's the, the challenge right it's like you want to present this brutal inhospitable dystopian game world because that is the setting like that's the backdrop against which that's the that's the obstacles and the problems that your characters are going to solve that's going to be the journey that they go on in their character arc but if you do that without hope um then it does yeah, the question does kind of hover there but i think i, I think it was episode six i want to say uh but whichever episode it was where they, they were like joel was like i want to be a sheep farmer <laughs> or whatever that was. yeah i think like uh, i think it was episode six um I think yeah, it was seven. But like, no? Or was it seven? Yeah, I'm going metal up. Oh no, maybe but, that's six. You're right. Six. Yeah. But like the the moment that hope is kind of the flicker of hope is almost yeah, the the kind of fanning the flames a little bit that yeah, there's like some optimism and there's something beyond what they've got and there's yeah, I don't know. And how much resilience you can find in like a dream of the of the future. Um but yeah, again, like it's a future that has to be it, it's it's not like re- a reproductive future it's just giving birth to other worlds basically other ways of being and um and still being able to imagine other ways of being even if all you've known is mindless violence basically oh yeah i mean check out station 11 and come back to me and we can talk again like okay. i would love <laughs> to hear your thoughts on that show uh, i think some of the things that we've talked about, especially on these themes of humanity and survival and, and all these things, I think would, would resonate quite well with this, uh, you know, this conversation already. Yeah, oh, I definitely I love check that show it so out. Much. Um, I guess, like, I, I don't know if you have any final thoughts before I make you make a, a terrible choice that I make, that we make everyone make. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I don't want to. So I would, like, I'll leave the floor open to you if you have anything final to say about the show before I have you, in true Serially Hooks fashion, and I'll do this as well, uh, rank your top four episodes of the season. But... <laughs> it's funny because I could definitely think of my top two, but then, yeah, it gets difficult for four. But I'll try. I'll do my best. Um yeah last thoughts about the show I think I feel like we covered a lot like we've yeah I think we talked I mean I guess maybe one thing I didn't say is that um obviously The Last of Us is part of like a a whole shift in the games industry where I mean it's literally called the daddening like that's what games journalists at the time called it where we we I guess like development studios designers were wrestling with the the moral and the ethical like consequences of the fact that most of their video game heroes were just mindless sexist homophobic violent killers and like you know the 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 people who'd grown up with games like that were now entering their 30s and 40s they were having kids Uh, and I say like he like I'm talking I am talking about men because the video game industry was and still is to an extent quite male dominated um so yeah like the daddening of games was seen as this like this dawn of new masculinity in uh, video games and some of it is actually just not that it's it's just finding new ways to justify old habits um but i think specifically um the god of war like the god of war 4 like 2018 god of war and god of war ragnarok like if you liked the last of us the video games and you were wondering what else to play that's in this same 
deadening genre. There's obviously The Walking Dead, which I've already discussed, but I really, really like the God of War games as well. I wouldn't say Atreus is quite an Ellie, but the <laughs> dynamic, the, the the dad-son dynamic between the player character Kratos, God of War, and his son, his teenage son, um, it, it has some of that same magic. So yeah, if you were looking for something else to play that's in the same genre, check out God of War. Oh man, thank you so much. I always like your video game recommendations because I know they're going to be great. <laughs> and I guess with that, all right, let's do it. We're going to do our little top four thing as in Serially Hooked fashion. Uh, we'll go four to one and we can alternate. So if you want, I can start and you can do your uh, top four, your fourth after that. How, about, how does that sound? Uh, that sounds good, but I think we should say our top game together because I think it's going to be the same one. I think it's going to be what everybody said was the best one so we could do a three two one and say what the top one of top episode was oh my god i hope we're i hope we're on the same page all right three two one episode three bill and frank yeah yeah okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. okay you can you, you can uh, you can go in any order that you like now but i, I was okay, pretty cool. certain that that was going to be the top one <laughs> yeah i don't think it's even close i think it's by far my favorite episode this season i think that um uh, for my number four episode of the season, I'm going to take the season finale, episode nine. Okay. Um, my number four, I think, is that the one I just talked about, like where they start dreaming about a sheep farm. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's... Did we say that was episode six or episode seven? I can't remember now. Episode six. Episode six, yeah. I thought... Yeah, I just found it like... I mean, first of all, beautiful because of the locations that it's shot in, like beneath the stars um, in those like, yeah, huge, vast um, Midwestern wildernesses. I think like um, visually it was just gorgeous. But yeah, I, I, I felt like in the game, Joel and Joel warms up to Ellie much more quickly, um, or at least it feels that way. Um, but I think it does take until episode six before Joel is like finally admitting his own like feelings, <laughs> which is that he cares about Ellie more than he than he wants to um so yeah episode six is my number four yeah that's such a good episode um my why i know that one's episode six is because my number three is episode seven ah. <laughs> i love the the riley ellie story um i i really welcome the change of pace as well and i love seeing ellie in a in different ha- a habitat i guess um and also there as you, you mentioned it obviously their childhood wonder they're going back and forth and i just i just found it incredible a beautiful story and a romantic story as well yeah. it's just ugh, gorgeous yeah i i really love that one as well i think also another thing that we didn't mention about the episode is the way that it just literally passes critique on what it's like to be a teenage girl in the 2020s at least well what it was like to be a teenage girl maybe in the early 2000s actually because that's when the the that's like the moment that's frozen in time but that scene where she's like looking in the lingerie shop and she's just baffled. And again, that's in the game as well. Like in the game, um, Ellie says, like she looks at like a billboard of Victoria's Secret model and she like turns to Joel like really wide-eyed. She's like, but you said there was plenty to eat in your day. Like, why does that, why does she look so starved? And like, um, you know, again, I mean, again, maybe it's a little bit on the nose, but um, I do think the game and the TV series does like pay really like careful and tender attention to the experiences of being a teenage girl in whatever the context. And I like that in the, the left behind episode where they they still they they reminded you that they are just teenage girls in spite of the fact that they're also like awesome superheroes so true such a beautiful portrait for that episode and my favorite thing about it was kind of 
the use of lighting in the episode mm. where uh, like just the brightness of the mall when it opens up is such contrast to the darkness of the inside of the QZ that you see. And then every yeah. step of the way, the lighting changes very significantly in terms of being lit via the games, being lit via via the, the cult, not the cul-de-sac, what is it called? The carousel, all these like yeah. beautiful different portraits of like, of uh, or reflections of light and darkness when it comes to this like, this dark setting, I guess, in terms of this post-apocalyptic frozen mall. I thought it was mm. absolutely gorgeous. And then on top of that, yeah. the the kind of Riley mentions that people, you know, looted everything, but only things that they wanted. So everywhere you go, even in the backgrounds, when you can notice things that were not taken or taken, and it's a subtle reflection of the reflect of the um what is it called? The priorities of humanity in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. or I guess in general, and what we actually want, what we didn't want at that time. And I thought, I thought that it was an incredible uh, kind of a statement as well. And I just, it's such, so multi layered this episode that it, while at the beginning, it's kind of jarring to be like, oh, wait, we're not in our normal time zone, like our time frame, mm-hmm. what's going on here? But just as you go in step by step, it just became more and more beautiful. And especially because you know the tragic ending is happening. Very similar to you mentioned the prequel. And I just found it is a gorgeous story. There's like there's like definitely this appeal to nostalgia, um, which isn't again, that's not perceived by Ellie and Riley because for them it's like novelty, not nostalgia. But there is a kind of yeah, again, like a tenderness to how that's recorded, even though it's not without judgment. Like there is definitely like human beings in the peak of capitalist consumerism had no idea about what was valuable and what wasn't um and yet there's still like it's not again it's just not black and white it's not a like a condemnation of like humans love of shiny trinkets it's it's more subtle than that and obviously as well in that episode and again this is even more stark in the game is that metaleptic moment where they're playing mortal Kombat, which is an iconic game in terms of debates about violence in video games and morality in video games it was like mortal Kombat was the punching bag for a lot of sort of video game detractors saying that kids who play video games will grow up to be violent killers and again it's it's not i wouldn't say it's not subtle like <laughs> it's especially when you're playing the video game there's like playing a game within a game is very much like a a knowing fourth wall break and a knowing nod towards how video games have changed and also to what violence in video games can mean and how some video game violence is amoral like playing Mortal Kombat it's not I wouldn't say it was a particularly like morally loaded or morally fraught experience but then playing a game like The Last of Us where you know shooting Marlene is absolutely like uh loaded (laughs) with complexity and um yeah feelings of 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 guilt and remorse um yeah so again it's just it's it's not even an easter egg i don't even know what to call it it's just a it's a knowing wink (laughs) to the viewer um an homage not an homage but yeah uh no wrong word i'm bad at words (laughs) um (laughs) so (laughs) what's your uh next uh episode i guess i'm sorry i should have looked up what number it was but the episode with the uh, exposition set in Indonesia where the Indonesian so two. Uh, scientist is that two right yeah. yeah um and again like you didn't get that in the in the game there was no attempt to try and explain the kind of science or the the yeah there was no kind of explanation given and again 
medium specific you don't in a video game you know if it's got zombies in it what you're supposed to do you don't necessarily you're not worrying about but where did the zombies come from how do they fit into this ecosystem <laughs> um but i really really liked especially just that opening bit where um the the female scientist who is like just an incredible actor um and there's that moment where the the military guy is like okay so what shall we do and she just says bomb bomb this the country like level yeah. the country to yeah. the ground and then she asks if she can please go home to be with her family and it's just again in this like um sort of microcosm capture of what the series is about as a whole which is as we said already like destroy humans to preserve humanity um is is valid reaction to an apocalypse no i thought that was incredible and then when you find out later that they had did actually bomb it's just it's uh yeah it's incredible and then obviously that's the episode where tess dies as well um and a beautiful sacrifice and i wonder i'm sure you get more of her in the game than you do in the tv show um but I I thought it was a beautiful kind of ending to her character. Something you saw coming, but unfortunately, but uh, just a great uh, story. Yeah, I think, again, I don't know if you do get that much more of her in the game. Like she, I think what is again shocking about the game is that you expect an insignificant named character to have a little bit of a plot armor and she doesn't. Um, so again, I think it's like it's a powerful way to underscore what this game is going to be like, like the fact that it's going to be brutal, that it's not going to pull punches with you. Um, but yeah, I think she's a really she is a really cool character. She's a and again, the Bill and Frank episode lets us see her at a different point in her life before she'd done things that had forever changed her, like when she was a bit more hair down, carefree and and optimistic. Um, I thought yeah. it was like it was nice that they could create space for that, too. Yeah, and I guess um, my number two, which is the last one on my list, is um, episode five. That's the Henry Sam episode. Uh, I I just love their dynamic. I love that the first half of the episode is basically all in sign language and silent or doesn't Mm. have any vocals. I just loved getting their background. I love the moral ambiguity of what Henry had to do and what and what that led to. I love Kathleen's character as a as a gray dark maybe not gray but dark gray uh, leader. Um, yeah. I yeah I just I love the scene at the at the house with the sniper rifle guy. That's so fun in the game. Oh really? Oh, I can imagine. That's so cool. Yeah so tense but so fun because you're never that far away from ellie like you're always at least you know you can run back to her but the fact that you're like in this fixed perspective and you're like no (laughs) it's great (laughs) oh that sounds amazing no i found that amazing and then also the reveal with the uh with uh with the walkie-talkie at the end i thought that was really effective um and then the tease with the cordyceps coming from the ground and we saw the sinkhole earlier on in the episode or last episode and that's kind of the payoff of that and yeah although okay this is a really moany comment <laughs> but that's not what bloaters look like the the way that they did like the big bad um zombie i didn't like that that's really not like obviously i know that in video game you have more different enemy types and the whole point is they look different because it like explains something about what their attack uh like sequence is going to be or whatever and it tells you clues and cues of how to defeat them so i guess the visual look of monsters in video games is about being legible but the the hench the hench zombie that that 
And maybe that's even why I didn't include that episode on my list because I felt that was such a letdown because bloaters look so cool in in the game. Okay, I I literally sound like one of the whiny gamers that I was like <laughs> saying sucked earlier, but I don't just a, a muscly like wrestler MMA like uh, zombie that didn't do it for me. You should look up what a bloater looks like. They're way more scary. <laughs> Sorry, that was like, a please carry on with what you're saying. This is such a whiny comment. <laughs> no, that's fine. I actually, um, that's actually a small complaint that I had of the whole season, maybe, in terms of like, I wish it was more, I guess the clicker, you only really have the clickers and the regulars. Then you had this one that was unexplained to me, this big, big, big one. Uh, it's kind of a little bit confusing. You kind of see the the seams of the video game aspect, right? Because you have levels of bosses, basically. Mm. Uh, and you have to like fight the different like, uh you know skill sets um and that was maybe not a complaint per se it's just like oh yeah this is this is a video game mechanic that you can see in the show here yeah i mean in in the game there's like two really scary ones there's one which is like the people who are in the walls and because the game is quite a dark game like a shadowy game where you often only have a flashlight like every time you enter a new room and also because a lot of the rooms do have like fungal growths on the walls and like hanging from the ceiling and stuff so there's no suggestion that like what might just be non-interactive environmental decor um, and what's actually going to be like something that's going to leap out of a wall at you. And you can only really tell when suddenly you spot a face in the fungus and then you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. And it's like, oh, yeah, no. that's like really, that's super scary. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and then the bloaters, like the bloaters are so scary um, because yeah, they're just, uh, they do, yeah, they just take you to the next, next level of like just physical uh, abject horror. Um but yeah, I, I agree. Maybe that is too video gamey for a TV series. But um, but why do they give him pecs? Like, it's not scary. Pecs <laughs> are not scary. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I was like, wow, he's ripped. Where has he been working at? What does he go to? Like the pure gym? Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to check it out right now. See what it looks like. Is this the? It like looks like all chubby. Yeah, and and they. And they like throw like gas at you. Like if you if you watch like a video of the of a fight with a with a bloater, you'll see. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's also to do with other things about the medium, like the rumble on the on the controller when they like take a step because they're so yeah. heavy, um, yeah. and they're just like so they just keep coming for you, and they can like just mash through walls. So usually, you know, you're running away a lot in the game trying to find like a hiding place or like trying to get and it just doesn't work because they all literally just like they're unstoppable um and just keep coming they're a tank basically um yeah i mean low-key rumble is like the most scary thing in any video game experience that i have <laughs> just like that idea of just like something i don't know what it is about that like textural experience that just adds so much to it uh i mean yeah. i mean i remember growing up consoles didn't have that kind of rumble right so when it like i mean not when we were maybe younger younger then eventually they did so it just it adds so much to it uh i don't know maybe that's me my literally my five-year-old level knowledge of video games um just being like oh this is cool <laughs> it's um i think yeah the jewel shock thing is actually earlier than you would imagine i i think it's even like 2001 was like the first kind of haptic oh no wait there was like a an add-on that you could buy that you could like clip onto the back of like an early nintendo console that i think oh my rumbled um, yeah and then the playstation dual shock like came out uh, like a year after yeah. or something like that but um but yeah it's an interesting one because it can it when it's used like successfully it can definitely contribute to that sense of like 
presence that we were talking about before of like being in the game space yeah oh now i'm excited i'm so happy um <laughs> i guess you have one more episode to reveal your uh, number two. uh yeah my my number two is the the left behind episode with ellie and riley maybe because it is my favorite game in the series and so i have that like nostalgic connection to it um but also i think again like it's it's like a, it's just a beautiful ya first love um story it's really tender it's romantic it's like um yeah like the you know it, of all the relationships whether it's like the the kind of filial love between Joel and Ellie or the yeah fraternal love between Henry and Sam um like the romantic love well romantic love between Bill and Frank obviously is like really really touching but yeah like that kind of teenage first love between Ellie and Riley is yeah, it just shows you another end of the emotional spectrum. Um, and I guess, yeah, it gives you a more complete view of what it means it means to be human, as we've talked about a lot. But like, yeah, like it's something that's redemptive about our species, at least, <laughs> that we can care about each other in these like really deep uh, and profound ways. And it's hopeful, right? Which is very different than the Bill and Ted love because, not Bill and Ted, mm. Bill and Frank love because Bill and oh, Frank yeah. is like a... <laughs> Bill and Ben, the flower pot men. <laughs> a love story for the ages. <laughs> uh, no, it's just incredible. So that's a great choice, obviously, because I mean, that's overlapped with one of mine. So I'm so glad we had this conversation. I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. This has been incredible. And I guess a testament to the length of this conversation today. I could, I, we could go on for hours, I'm sure. Feel free to edit it right down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Emma, for bringing your insight to this conversation, telling us such amazing stuff about... I'm just like, I've learned so much and um, <laughs> I'm very excited to uh, actually, at this point, purchase my PlayStation and uh, play these games. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, I, what I really want to do now is like, not... I definitely want to watch the show, but really, I just want to play the game and the games. So, you know... Uh, I definitely increased the hype for that. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's always so fun. Oh, I guess with that, um, if you've liked the show, if you've enjoyed listening, subscribe uh, wherever you get to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to, to automatic downloads so you really boost our download numbers up. We're, that's the best way to support the show at this point. Obviously, leave us a review if you'd like. You can send us an email, uh, hello at serialhook.com. Check out all of the great artwork by Luca on serialhook.com. And is there anything else I missed, Chris? I think that's it. Thanks so much for listening. All right. For Chris and Emma, I'm Rashad. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Serially Hooked, the weekly hook. Nope. Wow, I already nope. messed that up. <laughs> and as you can see, we are so good at this. It's tough. It's tough. Two years of practice and we've gotten no better.